0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Asia chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. I'm Rebecca Iswara.
1: And I'm Bill Porman. This episode is part of our interview series leading up to our 10th annual New Now Next conference, N3CON as we call it, starting on the 27th of August. In this conference, we are looking at how journalists in Asia and across the world are reporting on the new front lines, ranging from pandemic to social unrest, from recession to international geopolitics.
0: We are going all digital for this year's conference and have packed the programming with virtual newsroom tours and compelling discussions. Visit n3con.com to check out the agenda as well as the conference's
1: speakers. One of those speakers is Angie Lau, founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Forecast News and a past president for AAJA Asia.
0: In this conversation, Angie shares how she first started in journalism, how she is managing a remote and decentralized newsroom, and she gives some words of advice to our younger listeners. We hope you enjoy it. We are here with Angie Lau, Editor-in-Chief, Founder, and CEO of Forecast News. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so
2: much. Great to be here.
0: A lot of our members are familiar with your story, but for some of us who are a little bit new, could you tell us a little bit about how you entered journalism?
2: The backstory, right, Rebecca? I get it. (laughs) When I was two. (laughs) I'll (laughs) fast forward a couple of years there. Um, No, really, it started as, uh, you know, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 16-year-old who wanted to, you know, run into the world, um, but didn't know exactly what role I would be playing in it. Uh, And I had an extraordinary English teacher who, as I was having my angst moment of, you know, what should I do? What should I pursue? And he said, have you ever thought about journalism? And the moment that that escaped his lips was when I knew that this was my calling. And why do I say that? First of all, I never gave myself permission to even think about it. But secondly, once it was mentioned and somebody saw me in that role, it validated for me everything that I'm really passionate about. Which is understanding the world better, curiosity, uh, wanting to understand and, and then communicate and educate a community, uh, an audience about stories, the importance of storytelling. You know, I got to be a busybody, a paid busybody, and ask nosy questions, but for the greater good. And I certainly saw the value of journalism from a very young age as an immigrant child in Canada. We were learning alongside my parents. My parents were learning alongside us as we as we traversed this this journey in Canada together, and and we didn't really know until we learned. And there were certainly many instances in which I saw when we didn't know we were then vulnerable. And I, I learned from a very young age that knowledge is power, and that knowledge can empower. Um, and so I've carried that DNA with me my entire career and right into Forecast. I got into broadcast journalism because those are my skill sets. I'm a visual storyteller. I love writing. I love reading. And I love telling stories. And I love communicating. And I think that all of those facets um, really play well into broadcast journalism. And so you know, I started my career in Canada. I, I you know, worked for ABC and, and Bloomberg in the U.S. and that took me to Hong Kong where um, my last gig before Forecast was the anchor for Bloomberg Television based in Hong Kong as uh, one of the anchors with my own show. That was my role for many, many years. But the one thing that really drove me to continue beyond Bloomberg and to really embrace this role fully, is to be in service to an audience. And in that way, this is why I founded Forecast News. Because right now, when it comes to technology, blockchain, cryptocurrency, uh, distributed ledger technology, uh, quantum technology, AI, 5G, IoT, all of these emerging technologies, you know, there's a little bit of dissonance right now, there's a lot of noise. And there are aren't a lot of credible, or or journalists that look like me, or or look like us, frankly, Rebecca, or or have our pedigree, or have our credibility, or have our experience, who are necessarily in this space. And so I saw a business opportunity, but more important, I saw a need to serve an audience. and, And that's what drove me here. One of the people that is most important to me in my audience and the one who truly inspired me to really embrace my role now here is my little boy and he's now 3 years old but this idea this seed uh, really started when he was born and i wanted to remain relevant to him and i recognized that he is of a generation as are all of we that will be disrupted by technology and If you don't understand it, you will never see your place in the future. And so my role as a mother, as an editor-in-chief, as a founder, and as a communicator is to simply communicate and explain the story of technology. And if you can understand it, perhaps you will also see your place in it. And that, for me, was a very important job uh, and one that drives me to this day.
0: Wow, that is quite a fascinating story. Currently, it's been a little over a year since you started Forecast News. Could you tell us what conscious decisions you have had to make when building this newsroom, drawing from all your years of journalism experience? Things like running the newsroom, picking out who is best to not only staff, but to run a beat that is frankly quite different from what traditional newsrooms are used to covering.
2: You're totally right, it is very different and the way that I run things is also very different. I also come from a reaction to what standard or traditional newsrooms look like. Very hierarchical, very top-down and uh, in some ways less diverse than we'd like. The way that our team came together was so organic and so lovely. It, It is as simple as just saying, here we are, here's what we're doing. And people literally found us. We didn't always need to go out and, you know, put a big job bulletin out there. I mean, this is a very organic thing. And as you know, startup organizations are very scrappy. But at the same time, you know, it takes a certain person and it takes a certain personality to to want to contribute to that. And I really regard my team as co-investors in that they're investing their time, their energy, their passion into the company. And it is my job as a CEO to support their work and to create a viable and sustainable business that celebrates and amplifies the work that we are collectively doing together. For me, It was about finding and or uh, the people who join our team share very similar attributes. They're enormously passionate, they're smart, they're dedicated, they're curious, all of those things. But more important to me was passion and commitment. It mattered to me that if you don't know, you have the courage and the confidence to say, I don't know, and can you help me? And then being smart enough to actually go out and understand it and build on that knowledge. We are all in different stages of that. It's my job as editor-in-chief to really nurture that kind of environment where our team really feels not only nurtured, but absolutely supported to pursue some incredible stories and to do incredible work. At the end of the day, you know, I think one of my strengths as an editor-in-chief and as the boss is to absolutely understand what truly drives a journalist, being a journalist Mm. uh, myself, which is we just want to do good work and we want to do it with integrity. We want to do it with dedication. We wanted to do it with quality. And that means sometimes we're going to invest more resources into a story or the team will pitch in and get that story over the finish line because that's what we're going to do together as a team. And then to amplify really great work for an audience. You know, that at the end of the day is what a journalist wants. We all want to grow. We all want to be heard. We all want to keep learning. And that is exactly the newsroom that we are running here. And so it doesn't sound like you have to do X stories and it must meet an X, you know, and here's the ROI and, and, you know, here are the key metrics, the KPIs that, you know, you have to meet. For me, it was very important. All of that stuff will happen. There's no doubt about that. What my job is to do is to make sure that the team is excited, is motivated, and feel supported and that's really the culture that we are grooming at forecast.
0: I got a chance to delve a little bit into forecast last year. I have to say that it is quite a great culture and you appear to be taking care of the team quite well. You've been growing quite a bit as well. You're pretty big for a newsroom that's only a little over a year. And also the topic that you're covering, forecast is focused on emerging technologies, but is currently starting with blockchain and DLT. Given everything that is going on in the world right now, namely the pandemic, how do you put that sort of spin to your newsroom? I do see that you mention it in your newsletters, but how do you begin to approach these topics with a forecast spin?
2: Absolutely. Technology is an incredible metaphor for change. And now the world around us is changing at speeds, You know, one day we're safe, the next day we're all shelter in place. It's literally that fast. And that also means that every company that exists today is also being disrupted. And they're also now hungrier than ever to embrace and to think about technology. There was a study that was released about two years ago, where 80% of global firms reported that they are in some stage of digital transformation. You can be sure that post-COVID, that number is closer to 100%. And the reason is because we're all in this shared experience of pandemic and disruption. And we're also seeing companies completely restructure and redefine out of... (laughs) It's an existential crisis that we're all facing. And so you either lean into change or the alternative is, for me, unacceptable. And I think for companies who have not yet figured it out, that that extinction, we're seeing it around us. But those who are leaning in and recognizing that what our value proposition was yesterday is not necessarily what it is today. And what are the skills and possibly the technology that we need to embrace that transforms our business in a way that our customers require and need? I think that that attitude has absolutely exponentially grown. And at Forecast, we are in the position to provide that knowledge, that education, and that interesting conversation about all of these emerging technologies that you may not have been aware of for your business. But all of a sudden, to see it in the industry that either you're in or the industries that are adjacent to you and to learn how other companies are thinking differently. And now is absolutely the time to embrace change because it's landed in all of our labs and it's not going away. And so it's similar to that saying, it doesn't matter how many times you fall, the most important thing is how you get up. And right now, every company is forced to have these conversations. And Forecast is there for them. And so this is how we are leaning into disruption. One of the key things about Forecast is that we tell the story of technology through its impact at the intersection of business, economy, and politics. And so we have to be empathetic to our audience. We have to understand what the needs are, what the desire to know about what is. And so to remain relevant in that conversation means to not report from or in a vacuum, but absolutely we're in the world and we are seeing what's happening. And obviously the pandemic is a huge part of that. The list is as long as my arm of all the things that are on all our minds right now, regardless of where you are in the world. And so it's important to us to, first of all, understand what our audience's needs are. And then secondly, to be an advocate to our audience and to be in service to our audience when it comes to this technology conversation.
0: Definitely. All industries are changing. And what's not exempt is the media industry, which has been forced to evolve for years and we feel it more accelerated now. Where do you think this industry is going? And if there is a young journalist who is about to enter the workforce, and this is what they're entering into, if you were in their shoes, how would you approach this situation? And how would you find the opportunities as you skillfully have done with your current situation? What should they keep an eye out for? And how should they approach the unknown? It's all about mindset, Rebecca.
2: It's what Charles Dickens wrote in his classic, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And quite frankly, that is the age in which we live. That has not changed. That Mm. that will live, the truth of that phrase will live with us our entire lives. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And so when I talk about mindset, it is about how excited are you to actually not know, to actually dive into the unknown? How comfortable are you in your discomfort, in being uncomfortable? How adaptable are you? How flexible are you? How tenacious are you? These are the true skill sets that will distinguish two journalists one who have these characteristics and one who might not. And I know who I would bet on every time. And really is, it boils down to attitude. (laughs) If you know that it is amongst the best of times, also the worst of times at the moment, when you take a look at the headlines and you take a look at the layoffs that continuously plague this entire industry, when you take a look at the diatribe and the rhetoric and the vitriol that is launched against journalism itself, it's pretty debilitating and or the best of times. Why do I say the best of times? I just launched a startup, a media platform with the technology and the barrier to entry, the cost has been reduced to a point where we can run a decentralized team around the world via our laptops, via technology. Could we have done this 20, 30 years ago? It would have taken uh, a whole lot more resources so it's about also being creative about what we do have, what the tools are in our hands. And I think that for any young journalist is to keep an eye out for those opportunities. My entire career I have, in the most chaotic moments, were the moments that I snuck my way in a little bit more, edged up a little bit higher, because I was willing to have those opportunities conversations that other people were nervous about having. And I seized opportunities, not only seized, created, created opportunities. And you have to do that. I think the entrepreneurial spirit that is now reflected in what I do after a very traditional career in journalism where, you know, get a job, do your job well, get promoted, get promoted into the next job get another job, la, 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 that ladder. For me, I was able to, in my opinion, get edge up. The reasons why I edged up sometimes was hard work, obviously, but it was also recognizing the opportunity and how I could position myself to be helpful in a way that somebody did not think of me before. Does that make sense? When you present yourself in a new light and somebody accepts that from you you've already created a new opportunity for yourself don't let anyone ever define your narrative or your story or your skill sets you you seize that narrative consistently and you own it don't ever give it away it's that important
0: that's really great advice could you tell us a story perhaps that could illustrate how you create an opportunity And how you use that mindset of elevating yourself as an anecdote, and also to inspire our listeners, so they can maybe see how they can do it for themselves? Sure, sure.
2: I'll share one really easy story, because it's an experience that everybody will have in their career. So I was working in a newsroom, and suddenly, my boss was replaced. And now I have a new boss. And so I now have a new news director. Obviously, that is a time that is really nerve wracking for a lot of people in the newsroom, because the news director has hiring and firing powers, they can like you or they can dislike you. And it's enormously subjective, sometimes in broadcasting, sometimes you think you're doing great work. And if somebody doesn't agree, you know, it's in their purview to make that decision. Your fate is completely in this new person's hand. And so of course, the entire newsroom politics, office politics structure is based on a boss that no longer is there, and now comes a new boss, completely unknown entity to all of us, right? Believe me, I mean, the buzz in the newsroom and the concerned conversations, etc. For me, I thought, here's a new person. What might that feel like? I used my skills as a journalist, I was using my empathy skills. What must it feel like to be a new person, to be in charge of a new staff, and you're new to the city, and you're supposed to be the boss? You know, I think I just really appreciate a friendly hello and and assistance of help, and I think that would be really nice. And that's literally what I did. Maybe it was a little presumptuous of me and and certainly a little nerve-wracking, but I I walked up to the top floor of the news station and to the executive offices, and I just very casually knocked on the door and introduced myself and welcomed and then gave the lay of the land. And, oh, here's a person, here's one of my reporters who I should get to know. And so out came a, a very lovely conversation. And because he was in that mindset of wanting to learn and explore, he's asking me about what my perspectives were, you know, the community. And I basically said, look, I think there's an enormous opportunity for this station to, and then I got to put on my entrepreneurial hat. If you're asking me what I would do, here's what I would do. And it was a time when Ohio was at a critical juncture for the elections. Uh, It was a battleground state. I said there was an extraordinary opportunity for our station to distinguish itself. No other station was doing some dedicated teams to politics and to the election from a local level. A lot of the stations depended on national coverage. And I said, I think we should lean into this before lean in was actually a word and, or, 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 a, or a thing. And I, I said, and if you ask me, I would dedicate a reporter to cover uh, the Democrats and I would dedicate a reporter to cover the Republicans. That would be the beat for the next couple of months. That's just one idea. He loved it. And guess what I did?
1: You I was one of those reporter,
2: reporters. Then. <laughs> I certainly was. That's just one simple example that, and you can imagine what that spawned into, right? Because I was more high profile, I got bigger assignments, and then people thought of me differently. And when people think of you differently because you've expanded their perception of you, you, you just make sure that you prove that you can do your job powerfully. And that in itself will give you the opportunity and the leverage to seize opportunities and create opportunities. So that's just
0: one tiny example. That's a great example. I'm sure our listeners and the AAJA members can learn a lot from that. Lastly, do you have any words of advice for AAJA members? Perhaps how they can interact with the organization better or what the organization can do for them? How can we together build a community for journalists who are just trying to do a good job? How can we learn from each other and move forward together, especially during a time when we should be, in your words, leaning into change? If there was one grain of truth about
2: success, it is that there are a lot of people that contribute to it. For me, AAJA has always been that network of support and frankly continues to be. Without this incredible network of journalists, without this incredible organization that continuously thinks about how we can support each other, come up with programming in which we can share our stories, come up with seminars and events and all of these things in which we can professionally grow and develop, this is what this organization, this is what AAJA is for, its members. And I, full disclosure, I was the president of the (laughs) chapter. And so you're speaking to the converted and you're speaking to an evangelical, okay? But I will say that for me early in my career, I, I knew one of the things that was missing before I found AAJA was, I felt very much alone. I felt very like the people that I could lean on were my mentors. But what was this Mm -hmm. bigger culture and community of journalists? This is a real community. And it behooves every one of us to support each other. And quite frankly, my success would have been 50% less without the kind of support that I have experienced almost my entire career with fellow journalists. So it is critical. I remember my very first day at Ryerson. So this is the School of Journalism in Canada, it's infamously hard to get into. I remember the year that I got in, there were like 100 spots and 2000 people applied and I still have no wow. idea why they picked me, but I'm glad they did. And, but I still remember our first orientation day. They said, take a look to the left, right. They're your classmates. And sure, they're competitors, but they're also allies. And five, 10 years from now in the industry, it is these relationships. It's this network of people that you have around you that will distinguish your career. That's 100% true. And I'm truly grateful for the alumni that I get to call AAJA because this is where I have found the people in my newsroom. This is how our team works together and has gelled together almost immediately. The way that our team came together at Forecast was very much word of mouth, very much word of mouth. And as a startup, you can't afford to make mistakes. It costs you money, it costs you time, but more importantly, it costs
0: you growth
2: that's just a little example of the trust that we have in each other and it will serve you well
0: thank you so much for being with us today angie they were really great insights and we hope to hear again from you soon absolutely i'm always (laughs) here
1: Thanks again to Angie Lau for joining us, and hopefully that serves as a teaser for the upcoming 10th annual N3Con held by AAJA Asia. Again, that starts on the 27th of August. Tickets are on sale for as low as $5 US for students and $10 U.S. for our professional members. Visit our website at n3con.com to learn more.
0: And we'd like to hear from you as well regarding the podcast reach out to us at aajaasiapodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe too so that you don't miss an episode. I'm Rebecca Iswara.
1: And I'm Bill Poorman. Stay safe.